This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Worked with teenagers for a, a bit uh, in my life. Uh, I get to spend about 10, uh, 10 or 12 years working with teenagers in student ministry and now getting to oversee some of our amazing student ministry leaders uh, in the past and in the present. And uh, one of the things consistent that I would tell families is, is uh, a teenagers really, uh, they, they find a desire, they find something that they want to uh, kind of go after in their life and uh, they pursue that with everything that they have. Uh, they give their entire life to it. You know, people say um, uh, wisdom is wasted on the youth, right? Um, well, it's only so if uh, the carrot in front of them, have you ever seen the, the cartoon, uh, the donkey with the carrot in front of it? Uh, it's, uh, look at it on the screen, if you, if you guys can uh, turn it to there. Uh, yeah, so people control donkeys and horses with um, fruit and vegetables in front of them, right? Put an apple in front of a horse, I don't know. Uh, teenagers aren't very different, right? You, whatever they're going after, they go after it with all that they are. Uh, if you can figure out what they want to go after and uh, help them change that desire or expand their desires, uh, you're going to greatly affect the trajectory of their life, right? And so um, really when teenagers, you think about it, they have the, the time, they have the, uh, the passion for things, they have the energy, they have somewhat of innocence of the difficulties of life uh, to some extent, not all, right? But to some extent. And so if you can change what they're going after, teenagers can change the world. The Haystack Revival, look it up, Europe. Change the trajectory of Christianity forever, right? At least denominationally. Uh, most likely the disciples were teenagers. If you can harness the power of those years, it can change things, transform the world. So the thing is, though, we don't change much. Humans just don't change a lot. We, we, maybe our desires change a little bit. Maybe we get a little bit more wisdom in life uh, to be able to uh, kind of differentiate what is good for us and what is not good for us um, and all those different things. But we still run after a cause. We still run after a desire or a passion in our life. Christmas uh, is a great time to, to better understand what that desire and passion is in your life, right? Christmas Day, you open up gifts, right? You, you, you got all your gifts under your tree or whatever it is, and maybe some bags under there. You start to unravel everything, and you open it up, and all of a sudden, what do you see? You see the desires of your heart. I mean, if we're good about this, the goal is for each one of you uh, to find people around you whom you love and discern what they want, right? You want to know what they desire for a gift, and you want to get it for them. Christmas literally reveals, it's a great revealer of what we actually want and desire in life. Because what you open up on Christmas Day has a lot to say about what you desire. I challenge you with this, and I'm going to continually challenge you throughout this sermon uh, with this, is um, what you open on Christmas Day is going to define a lot about what you desire. So why don't we be very intentional about what we are opening on Christmas Day? What if you could be intentional about when you open something up, it reveals the purpose and the community and the life that you found in Christ Jesus. When people open up the gifts that you give them, they go, man, you've got a different kind of hope and you've got a different kind of life in you that, that this, this is a blessing to me, but I want to know more about it. I don't get this. 
And he started to have to explain it out like there's a different gift in my heart. There's something different about me that I want you to know, and so I've gifted you with something. So let me ask you a question. In your life today, what are you chasing after? Should we change that? Should you change that? Those desires and those things you chase after, are, should you change that or should you broaden the context of what you're desiring? Because typically, especially for, for, for younger people, as they run, run after things, typically we ought to either change the carrot out or broaden what we're running after. You see, last week we looked at Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 and we saw how God created the world in all its perfection and and. and charged us with the, with the task of stewarding over God's creation, relating well with his world and with his animals and with his people. We were to steward over one another and the relationship that we have between each other, between us and God, and between us and his creation. We were to take care of and manage that well. When we mess that up, in John chapter 1, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to restore us back into that good perfection. And then finally, in Revelation 21 and 22, we see that come to fruition, what it looks like for heaven to come back to earth, for perfection to be reinstated, for us to steward over our relationship with his good creation, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with him. And so... Really, what we've seen so far is we've seen the beauty of how God has taken what has fallen and made it restored and perfect. And today I want to talk to you about that in-between time and how this truth affects us today. Because we live in a chaotic world. We live in creation uh, gone mad, gone uh, fallen, uh, corrupted, and all of these things. And so as we live in the midst of that world, let's ask the question, how does the truth of John, uh, John, chapter, 1 and, uh, John chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 21 and 22 impact us today, right now. If you will, uh, you can just hear this. We're going to look at Romans 8, but just listen to this. uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The uh, The ground is cursed. Because of you, you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Man, how do, like, just, just think about this for a second. How do we go from good and very good to that? And, and for them, like, try to set yourself back into that context and to understand what that meant for them. Like, and for creation, think about all these different things, how hostile the environment had become. There was unity with man and creation, man and each other, and with God and his creation. Like, there was perfect unity. We mess it up, and all of a sudden, there's hostility. It uses that word, hostility and futility. So, Genesis chapter 3 is really the unraveling of the beauty of God's creation. To go from that unity to division. 
To go from uh, g- God's world and creation be a, being a blessing to humans to now it's, be, it's, it's almost like a curse to humans. We have to work. We have to sweat. We, it, it hurts when we, when we uh, uh, cultivate what God has given us. It wasn't, that's not the way it was supposed to be, right? And so now all of a sudden uh, we get to Romans 8. It makes so much, so much more sense of Romans 8 when we look at it through the lens of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we understand that creation itself has fallen. That we uh, and our choices and mistakes led to creation itself falling. Look at Romans 8 with me. 8 verses 18 through 25. Paul says, uh, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Man, creation is longing for redemption. Isn't that interesting how Paul puts it? Like he, he almost makes a, a creation have this kind of like human-like groaning. That creation is groaning for redemption. In verse 22, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. The same labor pains that intensified in Genesis 3 are being experienced by uh, the creation in Romans chapter 8 to long for and be eager for the redemption, the perfection of creation. I think about it like this, and I know, man, this is so interesting and kind of peculiar, but Paul kind of leads, leads us into this to think about it this way. Think about creation uh, and all of creation experiencing the fall with us. Like watching our, our decisions. I, mean, I, can, I can only imagine like if creation could speak for itself or in some way groan for itself, what it would think when we chose uh, to partake in the fall. It's like, it's like, man, everything's good. Like vegetables, fruit, God's uh, earth is growing. It's perfect. Everything's wonderful. Animals, man, thriving. We're stewarding over them well. They're not used for our food, but rather our, uh, a beauty of God's creation. Uh, everything's like just great amongst the world. And all of a sudden, the humans go and mess everything up. And like creation's like, what in the, what were you, what, what were you doing? What in the world were you doing? Look at what you've led us to. In fact, it says that all creation was leading into this decay. Verse 21, that creation will be set free from the bondage to decay. You see, creation at the fall also experienced death, something it was never intended for. This world wasn't intended to head towards decay, towards destruction. It wasn't intended to experience this lack of provision or whatever this world is experiencing that looks like destruction, looks like uh, um, whatever God didn't intend for it. When it's experiencing those things, uh, Scripture tells us it's longing for heaven. And just as much as creation longs for heaven, it's a challenge to us to long for heaven. See, check this out. It says in verse 19, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. It's such an interesting phrase. Why does creation want God's sons to be revealed? Because in the fall, we mess things up. We were supposed to steward over God's creation, lead the creation well, our relationship with humans well, and our relationship with God well. We mess that up. And so now creation longs for us to make things right. It, creation longs for us to do what we were supposed to do, to care for God's good creation that he created for us to live in and dwell in. 
Have you ever thought about it like that? Have you ever thought about like God's creation was intended to be good and eternal and for us to live in it with God forever, but we mess things up and now creation's like longing for that perfection for us to live in it for eternity. And it ought to cause and evoke in our hearts a desire to, lead, uh, to, to, to pursue after heaven, to pursue after eternity with Christ. It ought to show us the responsibility of being God's children and taking on the stewarding that He's given us of taking care of His creation, taking care of our family units, rising up to what God has called us to do to steward over, to be the people, the children of God that He's called us to be. Look at verse 23. It says, not only that, so not only that creation longs for it, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. You see, we have, it says in verse 23, we have the Spirit as the, as the uh, first fruits or the down payment. It's that thing that lives inside of you that says, hey, redemption's coming. It's the full assurance of our faith that we can know that God is in us. And if God is in us, then he's not going to leave us. If God is with us, then we know we can have an eternity. And it, look, here's this truth. If God is with you, you know that this isn't the end. You got to cling on to that. It's the down payment. It's the first fruits. If you know that the Spirit is working in you, you can have confidence that the Spirit's going to continue your life throughout eternity. That's the kind of hope that generates an eagerness, a desire that when you open up on Christmas Day presents, you start to see things in the context of what's life, what's community, what's a purpose, what's God's heaven, and how are we creating that, that sense of joy and celebration on Christmas Day? Not that we're focusing on the things of this world, but focusing on Christ. How do we focus on Christ as our desire while we're filling our lives with so many things from this world? What do we do? How do we recenter our lives? How do we eagerly wait for it with patience? And so I challenge you this morning to long for redemption like creation does, to long for perfection like creation does. You see, sin, uh, sin leads to suffering, right? We know this truth. You've probably experienced it throughout, throughout your life. If, if, if I was to say, man, you do evil things, you're probably going to experience pain. That would probably be uh, assumed throughout the world. Pretty, pretty consistent. Here's the problem, though. We as Christians believe that sin leads to suffering but also righteousness leads to suffering. There's a difference. In fact, it's, it's one of the things that actually makes uh, people look at Christians as uh, pretty crazy. And honestly, it kind of does sound crazy. Because what we would say is, we know sin leads to suffering, we know righteousness leads to suffering, and we're going to choose to do righteousness throughout our life. We're going to choose to do what is good even if it leads to our suffering. And it's unbelievable. But the, the, the thing is here, we follow after Christ, who is our perfect example of what it's like to come into a world that is broken, do what is right, and suffer because of it. How could we claim to follow after Christ, who is the perfect model and example of what it looks like to suffer for doing good? How could we claim to follow after him if we weren't willing to do the same? You see, when it's laid out before us, when the plan and path that God has for us is laid out before us, and we can either choose to do what is right, or we can choose to do what is evil, and one of those is going to lead to temporary glory, and one of those is going to lead to eternal glory, we have to make a decision, right? Because temporary glory can be achieved through wicked things in this world. 
We choose them every single day. We choose sin. When we, every time we choose sin, we're choosing that temporary glory rather than choosing what is right for that eternal glory. If you look at Romans 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. Look, here's the thing. As part of what we, we preach is this. We know that sin's going to lead to suffering and righteousness is going to lead to suffering. But if sin leads to temporary glory and righteousness leads to eternal glory, then we're going to choose righteousness because we know it leads to eternal glory. That's what differentiates us as Christians from the rest of this world, is we know that choosing to do what is good, even when it's difficult, is going to lead to eternal glory with Christ Jesus. It's exactly what Christ did. And he did it so perfect. He did everything right, and yet he suffered for it. I mean, I think about it. Come on, come on with me. Think about this. The Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, that was the moment where everything's laid out before him to do what is right, to do what is evil, to turn away and become the king of this world, or to focus in and, turn, and became the, uh, become the king who he is, or, or continue to become the king who he said he was and will forever be, the king of the universe, king of all things, the king of kings, lord of lords. Look, he could have taken that temporary glory in Matthew chapter 4. He could have taken it when the devil promises him all the lands, he could be king over it. But instead he takes the eternal glory. And he says, thy will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Man, in your life, I'd encourage you in this. Suffer for doing what is good, not for doing what is evil. Because you're going to suffer. This world is full of suffering. We're going to suffer for something. Let's suffer for doing what is good, not what is evil. Because one leads to eternal glory and one leads to temporary glory. I think it's fascinating what it says at the end of this, right? It says that we eagerly wait for it with patience. How do we eagerly wait for something with patience? Right? Like I, uh, in, in the previous service, in the 930 service, uh, there was a couple here who I'm, I'm doing their wedding in three weeks. I'm excited about it. They said, I think you might be more excited about our wedding than we are. I was like, I don't know, man. I'm pumped about it. I love this couple. I'm excited for this couple. They pursue after Christ. Man, it's, I'm so excited for them. But how do, we, like, how do we eagerly anticipate it, like excited about it while having patience? And here's the key, man. You've got to understand that God has given you purpose in the midst of your pain. You've got to understand that God's given you purpose in the midst of the path that God has given you on this earth. See, Jesus knew his purpose. He was sent to earth with a purpose and a plan. He, had a, he knew what he was doing, and he could either choose not to do it or choose to continue on that path. Now, he knew that on that path there was going to be suffering, but he chose to do it anyways. And I would challenge you with the same, same challenge, same truth from this passage, Romans 8. You see before you the path. Choose to do what is good. So as we eagerly wait with patience, we long for heaven and we long to depart from this world. We have to remember this, right? Scripture is not an escape rope. I challenge you this often. I want to remind you. Look, let me tell you something. Through this series on uh, on chaos, creation's in chaos. God is redeeming chaos, okay? I want you to hear that over and over. In fact, uh, I'm okay with you starting to get tired of me saying that God comes into the midst of our darkness and lights it up. I'm okay with that. In my own life, I need to preach that to myself often. In fact, uh, yesterday, uh, my wife and I were having this conversation, this truth about in the midst of chaos, God is in there. He's present. He's with us in the midst of suffering. He is with us. I want you to hear that so many times that you start to go, man, I think he said that already. It sounds like he keeps repeating that God is 
God is there with us. When, when suffering occurs, we can, we can be faithful because God is with us. Why does he keep saying that? Here's why. Because there's going to be a point in your life. There's going to be a time in your life where, where destruction is around you, where death has occurred, where divorce is, is around you, where you've seen pain in your life, where somebody passes away and you go, I don't understand. And all of a sudden you're going to get to a point where you think everything's so chaotic and out of control and you feel like you can't go any further and you don't want to go any further. And all of a sudden you're going to ask this question. You're going to go, why did God allow this to happen to me? And I hope you remember. Man, I hope you remember. I beg that you'll remember Romans chapter 8. And you'll remember that in the midst of all that, it's a temporary pain that there's an eternal glory coming. Just stay faithful. Because when you ask that question, why did God allow this to happen to me? Remember, he allowed it to happen to his own son. Jesus Christ, who did everything that was right, everything that was good, let us not think that we're greater than the Son of God. And as we face suffering and pain in this world, let us remember that because of his victory, we too will have victory. Don't give up. In the midst of this temporary suffering and temporary pain, don't stop. Don't let your mind shift from the eternal glory and from heaven, from what God has for you, because it your story is not over. It is, it's fascinating. Think, think about what Christ did. He lives a perfect life. Uh, uh, Garden of Gethsemane happens. He prays tears of blood. And then on the cross, he cries out and he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. And I think about that moment, like when he says it is finished, sometimes that's what we feel like in our life, right? It's almost like we're suffering on the cross. We're at that, we've taken up our cross. We feel like death and disease and destruction, despair and depression is all around us. And we see all these different things and we're like, man, I'm finished. But see, here's the, here's the thing though. It is finished doesn't mean that the story is over. It means that sin is done. It doesn't mean that your story is over. It means that death and disease have been conquered because Christ on the cross raises after three days. You see, the story for Christ isn't over and the story for you is not over. And that's the truth that this gospel is preaching and Romans chapter 8 is saying is there's temporary glory or there's eternal glory. And if you'll take up your cross and follow after Christ, you'll find an eternal glory that won't just be about these worldly pleasures and the gifts that you open up that reveal the desires of your heart, but it will be more centered on what Christ has for you in purpose. And purpose brings about community and community brings about life. And the Garden of Eden was all about purpose, community, and life. And all of a sudden you find all these things and you go, man, there's a far greater desire that I have in my life. There's something that I want to chase after. There's something I want to give my life for. Man, you, you, you put a teenager on that path, you put a young adult on that path, change the world. But let us not forget. Let us not forget that no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what God has gifted you with in life, no matter what circumstance you face, you face today, God has given you a purpose. God has given you a community, and God has given you life. And the beauty of the gospel is we can trust that that, that truth right there is for eternity. So hold on to these things. This world desires a return to perfection, and so do we. We can desire more than disease, disappointment, evil, depression, death, and everything else that we see around us. And when we see in this world, when we see pain and heartbreak in this world, and know, like, man, that just doesn't look good. That's not what we want. Remember, the creation that is experiencing that is desiring to get out of that. I, I, I think it's unbelievable. Think about this. 
Try to, try to just comprehend what, Christ, what, what the Father did when he sent his son. Think about the most wicked, unsafe, despicable place that you could ever raise a child. Like, try to think about the, a place in this world where you'd go, man, I would never raise a kid there. That's precisely where God the Father sent his son. He knew exactly what we were facing. He knew all the disease, disappointment, evil, depression, and death that we see around us. He knew all the wars. He knew all the famines that would happen. He knew all the diseases that would would infiltrate our society. He knew all that would happen, and yet he still chose to come as a baby, humble, and submit himself to the futility of this world, the hostility of this world, and to the pain and suffering of this world. He chose the path before him, which would result in the cross. He chose all of that for you. So I I challenge you this Christmas. Make your desires known. Make your desires known this Christmas. What does that look like for you? Maybe in the midst of of, uh, celebrating Christ in in the different parties and having family over and different things like that, maybe you could focus in on community, purpose. Maybe you could focus in on life. Maybe when people see you, they go, man, what in the world? Why do you have such hope in your life? Y'all, we aren't called to be fake. If you're, if you're like walk around as Christians and you're like, no, 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 life's good. See, Christ doesn't call us to go, hey, I'm not facing anything. Life's good. That, that's not real. That's not raw. That's not what Paul does. Paul, Paul's willing to admit his struggles. He's willing to admit like the pain that he experiences in this world. You see, what we do, here's a little bit different, and it makes us, again, a little bit crazy as Christians. It seems a little bit crazy to the world. We, we share what we struggle with, and then we go, but that's not the end of my story. I, I, here's what I'm experiencing, but that's not, that's not the end because I know that Christ is coming and I know that I'm going to raise from the dead and I know that I've got a future with God in eternity and I know that that's not my end. Yeah, I'm hurting. Yeah, I'm experiencing division. Maybe today you'd go, man, I, I feel like I, I, I want to just give up. I'm in such despair, such depression. Maybe you today you're feeling that chaos of the world, whatever it is, and today you're just going, man, I don't know if I want to continue. It's, it's what makes us, I think the world looks at us and goes, what is wrong with you guys? Because in the midst of those things, here's what we say. It is well. And it's like, what? What's well? <laughs> Your life looks like Job. It's like, why do you have that kind of hope? And that's what I'm challenging you with today, is during this Christmas season, especially in the next week, everybody's going to be talking about Christmas, uh, or holidays, or gift giving, or having uh, family over, friends over, and all these different Why not take the opportunity to go, man, hey, I know the pain you're experiencing. I know the division that we've seen. But I know that that's not the end of your story. God has a plan for you. God didn't, God the Father didn't leave his son on the cross. He raised him from it. God has a plan for you. How can you show these people that there's an eternal community, that, that those that feel isolated, those in your family that feel like they've been divided or separated out or, or because of a divorce or because of a, a struggle that they had or because of sin they committed or something, they're separated and they can't find any community. Or maybe they just have a, a, a struggle, a personality struggle, and they just it's hard for them to relate with other people. Or maybe it's hard for you. Maybe you feel divided out, uh, like you can't find community. All these Man, there's a hope that there's going to be an eternal community that you find in Christ Jesus and with Christ people, and you're going to have perfect community. 
How good is that? And how can you communicate that this Christmas? How can you communicate through your gifts and through the way that you speak that people have purpose? That God has given them a purpose on earth. They're not just walking around. They're just not waking up. But God has given them a purpose. And that he's given them life. Think about how amazing this statement would be. If you could, man, if you could speak this over everybody that you come into contact with. To love and be loved with perfect purpose forever. Man, that's good. To love and be loved with perfect purpose forever. That is something worth desiring. That is something worth opening up on Christmas Day. That's something worth worshiping Christ on Christmas Day for. Man, if you're going to open up anything on Christmas Day, let me challenge you this. Open up your word. Open up your word and let the truth saturate your heart that God has a purpose and community and life for you. Christ, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll have a hope too that transcends all of the death and disease and the pain, destruction, division that you experience in this world. Man, I know many of you are sitting in here today and you are you're wrestling internally. Some of you don't know how to communicate it and the Spirit is groaning within you just like for creation. Groaning within you for perfection and redemption. Some of you are sitting in here today having shared something you struggle with and you're still wrestling with it and you're frustrated. Maybe somebody's in here today and you just you don't want to admit it. You don't, you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to utter it. You don't want to groan it. You don't want to pray it. You don't want to speak it. You just don't want to deal with it. But there's something there that's hurting and broken and dividing and changing your personality and changing what you do, changing who you are, and you're just frustrated at it. Y'all, we are all in the same camp. We live in a world full of hell, full of the devil, full of evil, full of destruction and disease and death. The question is, do you have hope in Jesus? The question is not, are you experiencing pain? The question is, in the midst of that pain, are you going to give glory to God knowing that he has not said it is over? Your life is not done. Your story is not over. You believe that today. Come on, church. Don't go through this Christmas season forgetting the hope of Christ. Don't celebrate mere gifts, toys, treats, digital devices. Celebrate all those things as just a cloak to the pain that you're experiencing. Unravel the mess of this world and you can find within it your pain or you can find within it the hope of Jesus. Can, can you think about this with me? Will you just think on this? What would it be like on Christmas morning to open up and find the desires of your heart? And honestly, what would it look like to open up Christmas morning like gifts that really show what's going on in your life? Like everybody around you watching and you open it up and you get, you get it to the opening and you, you look at the gift and all of a sudden you're like, that's the filth of my life. 
Like that's the mess, that's the struggle, that's the disease, that's the death. That's not what I want, it's not what I desire. And all of a sudden you're like, man, this is what I always... Every groan that you utter will be saturated in the hope of Jesus Christ because it's so different than this world. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to close with this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 1944, it was like May of 1944, a couple months before he was going to die in a Nazi concentration camp or jail. He'd been preaching Christ for years. They finally took him captive. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer continued to preach the gospel to his friends through writing letters, to the guards who were around him. They saw a hope in him. They wanted, like the guards wanted Jesus. The guards wanted Dietrich to live. Three weeks before the war was over, he was killed. I want you to hear a poem that he wrote in the middle in May of, uh, May of 1944. It says, Who am I? They often tell me I step out from my cell, calm and cheerful and poised like a squire from his manor. Who am I? They often tell me I speak with my guards freely, friendly, and clear as though I were the one in charge. Who am I? They also tell me I bear days of calamity serenely, smiling, and proud like one accustomed to victory. Am I really what others say of me? Or am I only what I know of myself, restless, yearning, sick, like a caged bird, struggling for life, breath as I were being struggled and strangled, starving for colors, for flowers, for birdsong, thirsting for kind words, human closeness, shaking with rage and power, lust and pettiest insult, tossed about, waiting for great things to happen, helplessly fearing for friends so far away, too tired and empty to pray, to think, to work, weary and ready to take my leave, of it all. Who am I? This one or the other? Am I this one today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once before others a hypocrite and in my own eyes a pitiful, whimpering, weakling? Or is what remains in me like a defeated army fleeing in disarray from victory already won? Who am I? They mock me. These lonely questions of mine, they mock me. Whoever I am, thou knowest me. O oh God, I am thine. A man in a Nazi concentration camp, writing of the glory of God in his life, knowing his identity. Where are you? Who are you? May you find hope in your despair. May you find victory in the defeats. May you know that your story is not over, but is only beginning to unfold into eternity with your God. May you not just lean on Christ. May you lay in the arms of a Savior who's willing to carry you through every pain and struggle that you face. May you give into a God who's willing to give all for you. May you trust in a cross that you are to take up, not for, just, not for eternity, but for just a temporary, a temporary moment of discomfort and pain and struggle because there's an eternity that is coming before you that is far greater than the temporary pain that you experience today. I will say this again. I will say it again. I will say it again and again. And every time you face a trial or difficulty, I will say it again. That this world, we're going to take up a cross because in heaven, we're going to take up a crown. 
But that, cro- that crown looks so tempting in this world. It looks so good. Every carrot before you, every fruit in front of your face, every desire that you want, every tangled thing in your heart, every idol-making system that's in your body that you desire after the idols of this world, everything that you've desired and longed for out your life, everything that you want, everything that you claim to be yours that's not, everything that you use for your own glory like a glory thief chasing after God's glory and taking it for your own. Every single one of those things that longs to make you a king on this world is being placed in front of the king of this world. Saying, my God, my God, my Lord, my Lord, you are the one who can hold all of my pain and I can declare without a shadow of a doubt, with no no struggle in my faith and no struggle in my hope, I can declare this. It is well. Even when it doesn't make sense, even the world calls us crazy, and even when we can barely utter the words through our tears and our pain, it is well. Because I know that my God has a plan for me. And I know my story's not finished. So brothers and sisters, the question is not, are you suffering? The question is, what are you suffering for? Eternity or a temporary crown? And my Christ, my King and my Lord showed me and he's shown you how to find eternity, community, life, and purpose. To be loved and to love and to find perfect purpose forever. Do you long for it? Do you long for it more than Christmas Day? Do you long for it for more than the vacation that you're going to experience? Do you long for it? If you do, would you open up your eyes to the Word of God, to the truth that He has for you on Christmas Day? Would you see a Savior born in a manger, the life given so that my life could be achieved, so that my life could have worth and value and purpose, that I might be declared a son of God? Every single one of us are struggling. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a Nazi concentration camp. It's your choice today whether you have faith and hope or despair and destruction. Let's give God the glory. Let me pray for you. God, we trust you in the midst of these storms. We cling to the cross as our only hope and our only way to eternity. May the world see us clinging. May the world see us praising. May the world see us hoping. May the world see us in victory over our defeats. May the world see us going through suffering with joy. May the world see us fighting through disease with faith that you are conquering. May the world see us knowing that it looks like our story's over, and yet we're celebrating the story that is coming. pray, God, that the world would see the true meaning of Christmas through our church. I pray, God, that they would see light in the midst of darkness, that they would see salt in the earth, that they would see a city on a hill. I pray, God, that this community would know that we look like crazy people, but it's because we believe in a truth that is radical. It's unbelievable. It transcends all knowledge. It might not make sense 
to those who can't see it, but to those who can, it's a hope that keeps us going and keeps us going and keeps us going. So, Father, would you give us a full assurance of faith that continues our life and in the midst of these pains and struggles that we might declare your glory. It's through the power of the Spirit we pray and through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, we can trust that you hear us. Amen.
questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.